the National Archives podcast series, Suing and Being Sued, Finding People in Legal Disputes, presented by Nigel Taylor. Okay, welcome everyone. This talk really is the aim of the talk is to give you a sort of overview of the court structure from the mid-19th century really through to the 20th century. I'm concentrating purely on litigation, so that I, won't, I won't be really covering the criminal side. I also uh, will show you examples of the actual documents and how to use the documents and the various series for the various courts, which can get quite complicated, so I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. The first uh, aspect I want to sort of explain is the, the types of law. And there's the two main areas, the common law and the equity. I mean, common law is, is what is that? It says there on the um, PowerPoint, the central role of justice based on principles and precedents. It's, uh, it's not the, the written statutory law, as we know, the Acts of Parliament, though you can, by Acts of Parliament, amend the common law, but it's, it's the, say, the principles, the precedents that are produced by the judges. The equity is uh, a part of law based on what is just and equitable. It's, it's where a remedy can't be sought through common law. It's, it's really the equity developed because common law couldn't deal with a lot of problems, a lot of disputes. The way to describe probably the difference uh, between the two in, in, in more kind of the modern sense is that I give the example of... Uh, if someone is employed to, to mend a roof of a, of a house and the, the roof starts leaking, the remedy to get to damages for the cost of the roof is through common law. So you sue for damages for the breach of contract. But equity, the same situation, what you're doing instead, instead of claiming for damages, you would be forcing the builder to honour his contract to fix the damage, which is called in sort of legal terms specific performance so it's it's so common law is a lot of sort of claiming monies damages but equity is, is is more trying to force someone to carry out a something they should be doing so it maybe it might become a bit clearer when i show you the the, the records the common law in terms of common law courts the the big three common law courts are court of king's bench the original court of the king Court of Common Pleas and Court of Exchequer. The uh, Court of King's Bench is technically the highest court. They very much competed for business, the courts. And there's a lot of crossover in terms of the types of cases they were heard. Some of the courts specialised. For example, King's Bench, you tend to have more libel cases uh, or, you know, or libel and slander cases. Court of Common Pleas dealt with a uh, certain types of freeholder uh, disputes, or sometimes there were fictitious disputes where uh, it was just a, a means of passing land or property to one person to another, just a sort of legal, what they call a legal fiction. Court of Exchequer, they dealt with a lot of revenue cases and disputes over tithes. So there was sometimes a little bit of variation. In terms of the business, certain times, say, uh, you found King's Bench might have had the uh, main business, a uh, majority of the business, maybe Common Pleas second, Court of Exchequer third, but it did, did vary. And, and by 1860, in fact, I was looking up on the uh, official statistics, 
reproduced in the parliamentary papers. And in terms of writs, which are the writs of the way of starting a case, uh, in 1860, there were 30,000 in King's Bench, uh, 25,000 common pleas, and Exchequer, 41,000. So you could see it's reasonably equal, the Court of Exchequer at that time a little bit ahead. Equity courts, probably uh, Court of Ex Chancery is probably the, the best known in, in terms of uh, family historians because the records produced for the Court of Chancery tend to be... Uh, fuller detail about individuals, families, estates. The Court of Exchequer, probably less uh, well known as an equity court, but that, confusingly, in terms of the records uh, held here, they did have, as I was mentioning, a common, uh, it was a common, uh, common law court and an uh, equities uh, court, so it was doing both sides of the business right up to the 1840s. And you had similar cases heard in both courts. Again, you might have more bias towards certain types of, say, disputes, as I was mentioning, over tithes with the Court of Ex Exchequer. But certainly Court of Chancery was probably the, you know, the largest uh, court of the two. The records of the common law courts in terms of uh, the actual records and the uh, record series and the records they generated, and I'll be showing you in a few minutes, what they, they look like, the documents, which will make it a bit, bit easier to understand. Uh, but the common law courts, all, all three courts, you do have these rolls, and they literally are kind of very long documents, these long rolls that are stitched together. Uh, they're called plea rolls, and what they do is they set out the, the case for the plaintiff, the one who's setting, who is bringing the case. So it, it tell you in very formal terms what the case is about, and then it would finish up with a, a short bit at the end with the final judgment, very short. Sometimes you get the, uh, the defence from the other side, uh, so it'd be the reply from the one who's defending the action. And say it is, uh, these records tend to be very formal. The other thing I'd mention at this stage is that up to 1733, they are in uh, Latin, uh, virtually all the documents, uh, apart from a slight hiatus during the Commonwealth period when they were written in English. So that can be a bit of an obstacle to these uh, records, uh, which is in direct contrast, by the way, to the equity, uh, equity side records, the Chancery and Exchequer, which are in, uh, mostly in English. And the way into these uh, plea roll records are these um, so-called docket books, which act as uh, you know, indexes. And again, I'll show you what these look like in, in a minute. Judgment books, they are basically give you the just one-line entries, just giving you the, the outcome of the case. They don't tell you much. But, but sometimes that may be the only thing surviving. Rule books are really writing in book form. They're writing out the, all the directions and orders throughout a case. So that's quite good for tracing a case um, right from beginning to end. And... Uh, so those, those records are not uh, indexed, but uh, they are arranged by, by year. So if you know a year or years, then you can go through page by page. Affidavit, probably might be familiar with sworn statements. Fortunately, uh, for the common law side, the, there's not that many affidavits surviving. There have been uh, uh, what they call in the archive, uh, archival world uh, heavily sampled. <laughs> so uh, um, the good thing is a lot of them are listed by name on the 
our online catalogue. There was a reorganisation in the uh, 1870s, from 1876 onwards, where you had a Supreme Court of Judicature was uh, formed. And this was both a restructuring of the courts and also trying to fuse uh, as much as possible the common law and equity together, though you still had, uh, as you can see here, ch a Chancery Division and a King's Bench Division, so you still had that divide between equity and common law to a certain extent. But by this time, you can see Exchequer and the Common Pleas courts have disappeared, so it's more kind of a streamlining um, and probably easier to follow in terms of the records. Most of the uh, records I've been talking about were um, the courts where the cases uh, were heard were at uh, Westminster, in the uh, palaces of Westminster, the Westminster Hall. It's only in uh, 1882 that the purpose-built uh, building, as we know now, along the Strand uh, was created, and which was much needed because the, you know, the courts uh, up to then were very sort of dingy and uh, crowded, and uh, so it was a step forward. But outside of Westminster, uh, curse, uh, cases were heard on, on, on circuit. As you may be aware, you know, with criminal cases, but they also, uh, less well known, uh, also in uh, civil cases were heard at, at sizes. These are arranged by the same circuits. So you have, like, for example, Western Circuit would cover all the Western counties, Dorset, Devon, etc. The records are not that plentiful. Uh, you do get uh, uh, minute books, which are not minutes in, sen in the sense of writing out what was said in court, but they're just brief notes of the, the parties, what the case was about, and, and the verdict. But they, those that quite often survive. Um, you also get uh, sometimes uh, submitted to the, on the, the, the plea rolls I was mentioning. Uh, also the um, uh, postia returns, uh, these uh, were again very short notes of the, the judgment that returned to Westminster. So you might sometimes have something surviving for a case that was heard in say Yorkshire appearing in the, the central re uh, records either in King's Bench, Common Pleas or Exchequer. From 1876 you do have these um, cases heard and by 1876 they're suddenly being called district registries of the, the High Court which exists today, uh, today. and then you get the, um, the pleadings which is basically the statement of claim, defence and the judgment order surviving in the, the big pleading series from, in a series called J54. The types of cases for common law, you, you say you make, a lot of these recovery of debts uh, cases that uh, I briefly mentioned before, an awful lot of, sort of personal injury cases. Sometimes you know, it can be very simple personal injury cases you know, to the more complicated ones. And then libel and slander, as I was mentioning, uh, those were dealt with uh, under the, the common law. The equity side, you know, the Court of Chancery and the Court of Exchequer uh, equity side, you get an awful lot of administration of the estates of the deceased, uh, disputes over wills, trusts, uh, charitable and private trusts. Um, sometimes these won't be disputes, but they just be going to the uh, court to, for the directions of the judge to finalise the, uh, the terms of a charity. An awful lot of wards are court, guardianship type cases uh, for the care of in infants' estates uh, and the sale or distribution of the proceeds of property. So um, 
you can see the nature of the cases. They, there's a lot of detail that you're going to find in terms of uh, families, estates, um, and this is where you know, the genealogical research, where the benefits come into play for these type of records. Records held outside the National Archives. There are, um, well, there still are, a lot of small claim uh, courts. Before uh, 1846, they were collectively known as Court of Requests. Um, sometimes they individually were called uh, Borough Courts, so you might have like Taunton Borough Court, or there may be uh, um, a hundred courts, uh, Fruman, Somerton, hundred court. So you had a lot of these small, very small courts. Uh, a lot of them, they dealt with uh, very small claims, well, at least uh, below a certain amount. Uh, they, were, they were popular with a lot of businesses in, in boroughs who dealt uh, with it to, to uh, claim uh, costs from, from other businesses or, or for uh, people they were transacting, transacting with. From 1846, uh, they bec uh, the county courts uh, came into existence. Uh, county courts existed for a while in the medieval times, then sort of disappeared. But then the concept was resur resurrected in 1846, and uh, the county courts, as we know them now, for most towns in the country, or a good number, have their own county courts. And again, deal with cases up to a certain amount in the thousands, but they don't deal with big cases or complicated cases. These records, uh, where they survive, uh, help with local archives but unfortunately again they've been uh, decimated in terms of what's uh, surviving uh, so it's, it's very hit and miss but usually they're pretty well in, uh, indexed in terms of what is held at the various archives so if you contact the archive for the area you're interested in they should be able to tell you what they hold. Tips on uh, how to find a court case uh, these days say uh, you can use the times online and, and use keyword searching uh, we have free access at the, uh, the National Archives to the, uh, the use of the Times online and uh, I know a lot of local archives and local libraries uh, provide access and it's also on the internet as a, as a paid resource. In terms of little tips using Times online, uh, the ch uh, Chancery cases might, uh, might not be sometimes referred to Chancery cases, they might be referred to as a Rolls Court or Vice-Chancellor's Court. All this is indicating is that it wasn't the Lord Chancellor who was the main judge sitting in the case. It was uh, the Vice-Chancellor who su supported the, the Lord Chancellor or the, uh, the Master of the Rolls in the Rolls Court, but still Chancery cases. Now, uh, also uh, a good source is the uh, English law reports, which uh, run uh, right from medieval times right through to some modern times. And we have it in two sort of databases, the English Law Reports to 1865, and then uh, a separate resource from 1866 onwards. These, the more, the more useful up to the uh, 1860s, you had, I found a higher percentage of cases were uh, reported on, though in the main reason these cases reported on were for sort of purposes of legal precedence. From 1866, they're probably they are becoming less plentiful in terms of percentage of cases reported on in law reports. Um, it's, 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 probably, it's more confined to ones that were of interest uh, in terms of the law, legal precedents. But sometimes the you know, law reports, let's say before 1865, can provide a very good narrative uh, detail of a particular case, which if you're not finding anything in the, any newspaper reports, uh, 
can be very important. A lot of the law reports, the older ones, now can be searched on the internet individually under the Google Books search function. Other tip guide to finding a court case, sometimes you might have a judge listed but it's not clear in the, in the, if the information you have which court it is. So you can look up from the late 1700s the law lists. Uh, we have a set in our library here at the National Archives and these will provide a listing of the judges and which courts they presided in because the judge would only preside in, in one court. Also you can search uh, our online catalogue, especially for the Court of Chancery. Over the last few years we've done a lot of cataloguing work and uh, put names into the catalogue so you can search by names. A lot of it at the moment only gives you surnames of say Smith, <laughs> Smith maybe against uh, uh, Jones, uh, that's probably not a good example because you know, that's a, a very common name but clearly when names are less common uh, you have a higher percentage chance of thinking oh that may be the, the, the family you're interested in. But it's still it's, a, it's an easier way into the records. Remember cases can be disputed in more than one court. Uh, an example of that is disputes over wills, uh, they could be disputed in an ecclesiastical or church court or in later years uh, became known as a probate court or it could be a common, uh, a common law court and an equity court at the same time dealing with different aspects of the, um, of the, of the will. Getting into sort of the records now, uh, just to, to show you what they look like, I'm showing now here some court exhibits. Uh, this, this is not, not typical. Uh, I mean, usually court exhibits uh, will return to the parties when the case finished. But we do have a, a pretty large uh, series of court exhibits that uh, were just left with the court and then hence became part of the archive and uh, came, to the, came to the National Archives. And this is an example of, from the 1870s uh, of someone who was uh, photographed. It was uh, someone who was uh, living in Australia at the time, a man called Eversfield. And it was produced because he was allegedly the son of the, the person deceased. It was a dispute over the, the, estate, the estate of the father. And this was, was produced because the other side wanted uh, proof that the, the, this person who was claiming to be the son was the, the son, so they wanted to get some likenesses. And I'll show you in a second, in a minute, the sort of statements, uh, uh, depositions, witness statements, uh, asking him to produce you no know, photographs. So this is you know, a good example of a case, you know, bring, you know, bring it, it to life in terms of uh, you know, visual evidence. This is the uh, indexes to uh, chancery decrees and orders. Uh, these, at the moment, haven't been uh, indexed uh, on our online catalogue. But this is the way into the orders for the court, and these sit in the, uh, the map and large document room, which is on the second floor of this building. Uh, there's, you know, there's rows and rows of these, uh, these indexes which are arranged by date. And then uh, you look up by name, the, the plaintiff's name arranged, not strictly alphabetical, but under initial letter, and then that gives you a, a folio number that you can then take, take forward. Uh, by this time, by the uh, 1850s, you are getting a, a short uh, description of the type of uh, order you're getting. It might, it might say judgment or say petition. Here I sort of highlighted uh, the particular case, this Eversfield case. As you can see here, the, it's uh, saying chambers doesn't tell you all that much chambers. All that is telling you is uh, that that's a judge, uh, that order was given in the judge's chambers, his side room, as opposed to the open court. So a lot of the um, 
dealing with the parties would be with the, the lawyers would go into the judge's room to, uh, uh, to discuss and uh, uh, applications and uh, filing of documents. And then uh, a folio number, which would be the folio number in the actual order, uh, book of orders, which I, I'll show you in a second. The, uh, the uh, reference on the right there, uh, 1876-107, that's a number that stays with the case. That's when it's, the case starts. Uh, a writ is issued and it's given a number. And the, the 107 will be a running order number in 1876. Uh, it'll be, part of that reference will be the letter uh, E um, in the reading of the matter Eversfield. So uh, you have the running order number under the initial letter uh, f um, throughout the alphabet for each year. Some of these are not always genuine disputes. Sometimes they are just uh, where they are trying to uh, get the, uh, the court to make a, a, an order for, to look after a child. Uh, it may not be two parties disputing. but So you got, often do find that uh, where it's, uh, instead of just having a plaintiff and defendant name, you have that, that line above. And it will be indexed under that line above if you do. So that's just a, another tip to, in terms of searching. Here's an example of the actual decree and order books where the, all the uh, orders are written out. So it usually it would start with the parties. And this particular case is the, uh, the one at the very top where the actual beginning part of the, of the title is on the, uh, the previous page. But it would give the parties and it would say application of such and such side or the motion of and then it will write out the, the order, the directions. Some can be quite long, some be, can be quite short. I mean, you might just have an order to adjourn a case to the next uh, sitting. Um, but that one's quite, uh, that's a nice example, uh, quite well written. Here's uh, an example, uh, uh, cause books, which we um, have been sort of cataloguing uh, online. Uh, these only survive for quite small tra uh, tranche of years in the sort of middle of the 19th century. But the ones that do survive are very useful because these uh, actually tell you dates of filing of documents like affidavits, dates of uh, orders, so that can save you a bit of searching in the, the indexes and, and dates of filing of um, the original documents. This is the example of the particular case I was highlighting, Eversfield. You can, you can see there that there is quite a lot of, on the, on the right-hand side, you get uh, dates of, of particular uh, orders and uh, over the other side, uh, a bit of detail of other, uh, filing of other documents. So that's quite, uh, that's quite useful. Um, say it's, it's just another help you know, in terms of you know, searching. It's just a shame that uh, these records don't survive for you know, a longer period. What you mentioned on that, a uh, little bit, of, bit of more about the Eversfield case. I mean, it was basically the plaintiff's claim that the plaintiff was the, sort of the trustee of the estate and uh, and there were various, uh, various parties, including uh, the son, Eversfield, that were disputing uh, in terms of, because the, there's a lot of uh, property as well. Just quickly moving on to uh, another great source is the uh, Masters' Reports and Certificates. The Masters were the, uh, under the judges, they supported the judges, and they did a lot of the investigation work in terms of the uh, looking into the, the estates of a, an indivi individual and the assets. And you had sometimes you know, accounts written up. And here you have accounts written up for in a, in a case where it's giving uh, 
lot of detail in terms of uh, monies paid for or monies held in the bank uh, stock and, and also um, you know, right down to the level of monies paid to the grocer, the, 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 um, the butcher, etc., and, and the amount, you know, say the amounts. So that's kind of an example of you know, the wonderful you know, detail you can get in the, this kind of supplementary source in, say, the master's reports certificates. Uh, so, so once you've looked at the, um, the orders, the Korean orders, that's always the sort of next step. And again, they haven't been um, indexed on the online catalogue by name, but there are findings you can order and the way to get into them. Here I sort of move on to another sort of case. Uh, this is for the sort of 20th century. This is a, a, an actress, Ellaline Terrace. Hicks was a married name. She was a well-known actress of the, of the first half of the 20th century. And here's a photograph uh, from our uh, copy, uh, copyright uh, collection. This, this was a case concerning a, sort of a collision with an omnibus car was in, 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 in collision in London and she sort of claimed uh, damages, I don't know if you can see that, uh, for, uh, for the loss of the use of, the, of the, her vehicle and the actual damage and the repairs to that vehicle. She took the action against the omnibus uh, company and here's the example of a writ of summons. Uh, it's very much like you find in modern day uh, courts, which is the uh, initial document, just setting out the, the claim simply. Usually attached to that you get a statement of claim, that gives you the more detail and you can see here setting up the state, the claim, uh, the particulars of the uh, negligence and then you have the, uh, that goes on to the particulars of the loss of the uh, loss and expenses, so all the, all the uh, damage to the car going into sort of minute detail. Yes, <laughs> the other side hasn't come out too well but the sort of defence documents from the other side, uh, you know, basically saying that uh, she wasn't looking, you know, looking out uh, properly. And to, actually to complement this case, there was uh, you know, quite a lot, it's quite well covered as you can imagine in the, um, in the Times. And it's quite a good report because it does, unlike the actual official records, it's telling you what uh, was said in court. And you had the fa famous uh, lawyer, uh, Marshall Hall, was uh, acting in the case and he was uh, he was uh, cross-examining the, uh, the husband of uh, the actress and he was saying, uh, uh, are not all, all omnibuses the same size? And, uh, and uh, Mr Hicks replied, uh, not when they're all uh, running into you, which uh, laughed at the court, <laughs> which is funny at the time. <laughs> so, uh, so you get that sort of kind of detail. You also get the cause books. Sometimes that's just, this is all that's surviving for these uh, King's Bench or Stroke Queen's Bench cases. When you hear, I'll just show you a bit more detail, you find, uh, you find just to say the one line entry, it does give you the parties and the important thing, it does give you usually the final outcome. And you can see here um, towards the right hand side, it's saying for the plaintiffs, PLFF, and then the, the judgments, the amounts, and it's 121 pounds damages you know, she got. So uh, I couldn't find it looking on the times, the, the outcome, uh, but I found it this way you know, by the official records. And again, these records survive mostly intact. There's a you know, few gaps. That say, does give you at least, in most cases, the, the outcome. Yeah, I wanted to uh, show you what the, some of the older records look like, these plea rolls where it's saying, uh, tell you what the case was about. 
This is an example of Court of Exchequer plea role, say the, you know, the common side, uh, side of the law. This is actually slightly uh, smaller than the King's Bench and Common Pleas uh, equivalents, which uh, tend to be sort of longer uh, and more sort of cumbers cumbersome. They are basically the membranes uh, stitched at the top. Uh, they also numbered, uh, and uh, again they they start with the, the names of the parties, and then give you details of the case, and then end up with sort of the judgment. Uh, this. Uh, Example here I, I found uh, for uh, a titled person. It was actually, uh, though it doesn't say in the records, of gambling debts where some, uh, someone who uh, loaned him the money was trying to get back his money so that he, he lent to the Lord. So the record is, is quite, if you read it, it's, it's quite formal in, in terms of it just mentions the amount. It doesn't tell you too much, but at least it confirms the record. Here, I'm just uh, going back to, to the Eversfield case just to show you uh, uh, what the depositions look like. Depositions, it's usually an emanating from so the questions that were put by, often usually the parties from the other side, they will put a question and then the, the witness, in this case, the, uh, the Thomas Eversfield, the person in the photographs, is, is, uh, is answering. So you say, you can see here, it shows, so the questions, then the answers, so that it's bringing out a lot of detail of the case. Yes, this is an example of the uh, court exchequer docket book. So this is the way into that uh, plea roll you just uh, saw. Uh, unusually, uh, for all three courts, the docket books, uh, which are under these funny sort of IND numbers, which we have a finding aid in the Mappenage docket room, which gives you the right ref reference for the dates for a particular year and term. Uh, the, uh, these are arranged by the, say, unusually by the defendant's uh, names. Um, so that can be a stumbling block if you're looking under the, the, the plaintiff, the one who's bringing the case. And these give you uh, docket books. You may be able to see they give you a, a, a number, which would be the internal number in the plea rolls. But, but also they just tell you in very short legalese way uh, what the case, uh, what type of case it is, and the parties, and usually the outcome, and say, you know, uh, give you a figure if it's damages, uh, and then co maybe a cost figure. So they don't tell you too much, but at least they tell you just enough to, to, to uh, get more information about the case and go one step further. Mm -hmm. They start from sort of medieval uh, period right through to the uh, 18. 1875 to the, the King's Bench, uh, so it's it's, it's, a, it's you know a massive range of years. It's you know. yeah, here's an example of the uh, Court Exchequer Rule Book I was mentioning, where you have the orders throughout the uh, case. You can see here there's a, the um, you might be able to see there's a title up with the, the date, and then you start off with the parties, and then meant, it would meant it would write out the order or the direction. As I was saying the year before, these are not internally indexed, but arranged by, by date. Mm. I was mentioning earlier about the assizes records, and here these are um, example from 1817 to 1822. This is for the southeastern circuit. You can see it's mostly kind of brief details, the uh, getting cases here, I think uh, negligence cases, uh, uh, slander, but they don't. They don't. Men, uh, they only give you 
mostly just the, the outcome. Uh, you might get sometimes slightly uh, longer uh, details you do on the you see on the right hand side, but you're getting you uh, getting by this time a lot of say personal injuries, simple motor car accidents, uh, divorces in the district registries. So again, it's just to mention absolute granted won't say much more. So the um, that's what they they look like there. Here's say, an example of the uh, later one where you when you're getting some of these examples I was mentioning of. You can see they sometimes quite uh, can be quite difficult to use because the the clerks were sort of writing in the in the records, uh, not not often not in a very neat form. Uh, um, but again, it's you should be able to follow in terms of when a, one case starts and one ends. Yes, that's what I was uh, <laughs> mentioning earlier. Uh, there, um, the uh, getting back to the Eversfield case with the uh, depositions. I wanted to show you where, where you may be able to re read this, where the, uh, he's actually asking Thomas Eversfield, you know, did you and your mother get on with this you know, family? And he's you know, <laughs> saying that they, you know, they weren't particularly you know, nice people, you know, they were dissipated lots, which <laughs> is you know, so what, what <laughs> extraordinary you know, detail. Uh, and saying you know, that the previous questions and answers uh, provided unbelievable detail in terms of... Uh, his life in England, his movements, uh, you know, uh, where he's living, um, uh, where he is working between different, different years, because all, all of this was salient as of building up a picture of, of the other side, wanting to confirm that he was the, you know, the right Thomas uh, Eversfield in this particular case, you know, the, the son of the, of the deceased. In later years, you get these you know, typed up uh, this is probably an exa unusual example in the sense that it's, I found it among the pleading series with the statement of claims. Usually, depositions, you have a you know, separate series. Not too many of them survive, but for the... Uh, well, I say not too many. This is quite a, it's quite a percentage of records, depositions for chancery, it's, um, along with affidavits. So, um, and I say that's where you're getting you know, the, the, the de you know, details of each, of each case. So that's, yes, that's the... Uh, and this event was recorded live on the 27th of January 2011 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.